Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Well, here we are. It's another week. It's another coronavirus kind of day. Obviously, this is the issue that everybody continues to talk about uh, day after day, but we're still absorbed deeply into it. And so on this week's National Crawford Round uh, Roundtable podcast, of course, we are going to give you all of the latest, all of the updates and the analysis on what's happening with everything coronavirus with, of course, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit and John Rush out of Denver, Roger Marsh out of Southern California, Neil Boron out of Buffalo, New York. Gentlemen, how are you today? Good morning, Bob. Hey, Bob. Well, how are hey, you, Bob? Everybody well. got your hazmat suits on? I hope so. <laughs> That's so. right. Check. Uh, uh, I just use a garbage bag with the vacuum like you've seen on uh, <laughs> hey, you a garbage bag and duct tape. You poke a couple of holes. I mean, come sure. on. Sure. There we go. Uh, now, actually, uh, I believe... John, aren't you the only one who's not on lockdown at this point? Yeah, we are state? not on lockdown. Uh, my, my, we've got several, which we can talk about. We've got several counties and some cities, you know, city of Denver, city of Boulder, uh, the tri-county area here on the eastern, kind of eastern sea, I guess you could draw a sea kind of around Denver. They're going to probably be there by okay. Thursday at 8 a.m., I want to say, is I think what the announcement was yesterday. Uh, but there's a lot of counties around that, that are not, and there's a lot that are. I mean, it's just this hodgepodge, which I don't understand, frankly, guys. Well, and I am kind of curious, though, in in Colorado, what we got 17 states that are now on lockdown. Uh, let's see, Washington, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, New Jersey, Nevada, Massachusetts, Louisiana, Illinois, Hawaii, Delaware, Connecticut, California. And then just this week, we had four more added. West Virginia, which kind of surprises me since they're so low on all the numbers. But anyway, Oregon, Indiana, and here in Michigan, we just got put on it uh, here in the state of Michigan. But I'm kind of curious, and I want to go around the table and, and get a sense for what each of you are experiencing in your own state. So, I mean, John, first of all, with you, is there any talk about uh, Colorado joining the lockdown at this point, or no. might they just ride this no. out? Until yeah, I think I, our, our governor uh, had a state of the whatever address, press conference, whatever you want to call it, on Sunday and said that what he did was he pretty well mandated that any companies that are essential, so non-essential businesses, we've, you know, those have already been closed up. So, you know, movie theaters, restaurants, things like that. Essential businesses, what he wants everybody to do is be half staff. So you've got plenty of separation if you've got workers actually okay. coming into work. It's been encouraged to work from home as much as possible. But he's basically, I think, taken the approach and he's very leftish. Keep that in mind. But yeah. I think he's taken the approach that we want to try to do as much as we can to keep the economy going, keep essential services running and then just go, you know, city by city, county by county on what they feel they need to do to combat it. Isn't it when you talk about essential businesses? I don't know about uh, you, John, but here in Michigan, one of the essential businesses that is allowed to stay open uh, are the marijuana yes. and cannabis places. Same here, and so it's I'm ridiculous. sure they are, and I'm quite sure they are in California as well, uh, no yep. doubt. But but also the abortion clinics are considered essential businesses yes. because they provide. It's like oh my eye twitches from that. So yep. okay, so Roger, you are at, or I'm Roger John. You are at least allowed then to uh, kind of visit with family and, and and friends and do things like that. But just be wise and smart about it. And businesses for yes. the most part are allowed to stay open there. And yeah, and, and the list is very long. In fact, the way I've said it on air is the list of essential businesses versus non-essential. You can pretty much sum it up like this. Essential businesses have to do with everything it takes for us to live day to day. Non-essential is, for the most part, you know, entertainment. And I mean, so yes, uh, some of the, the hotels and some of those things, of course, the casinos, stuff like that is all shut down. But basically, the way I've summed it up is, for the most part, you're non-essential if you're in the entertainment world. Everybody else is, for the most part, guys, essential. All right. And of course, communications and media are considered yeah, essential. So we all got to, you know, work like dogs. Uh, and then, <laughs> of course, the two big hot spots in America are certainly California and then New York. Let's start with uh, California, Roger Marsh, uh, the bottom line uh, there in California. What is the feel? What is it like there in California right now, Roger? 
Well, it, it's a very, very interesting feel. Um, for one thing, for those of you who know, uh, you know the freeway system in Southern California, if you are driving anywhere, it's miraculous because mm, there are so yeah. few cars on the road right now. It's great. Um, the, the, the mood, I think, is, is actually quite good, all things considered. Uh, this past Sunday night, uh, we had the announcement that the National Guard had been was going to be deployed to Sacramento, to one other city in Northern California, and to Riverside, which is right near the KBRT uh, transmitter towers. And they, ostensibly, it was National Guard was going to be there to help out with distribution of uh, food at the food banks and things like that. Um, and, and we haven't, we were expecting, you know, okay, well, the National Guard's going to be deployed. We're going to see tanks, you know, and all that type of stuff. Fortunately, none of that has transpired. Um, it's in terms of the infection rate, the illness rate and everything, it's still predominantly, they tell us that uh, Gavin Newsom had a press conference yesterday on Facebook Live, and he said 50% of the infections in California, which represents about 1,000 people, are between the ages of 18 and 49. So the idea that this is only happening to the elder and the infirm uh, isn't quite the same here in California, but we do things differently. All in all, though, when it comes to the quote-unquote essentials and things like that, there were still nail salons that were open around here. So, I mean, I realize that not nail everybody's salons. taking it as serious. Well, those are essential <laughs> for some people. I mean, especially for the real housewives of, you know, Beverly Hills. Well, there you They've go. got True. to get their nails done. But but I think the, overall, though, the mood has been quite good. Lisa and I like to take walks uh, in the neighborhood and just kind of see who's out and about. More and more people are, you know, getting out and being friendly and being somewhat civil and social with each other. So I think there, there's an underlying, you know, tension that's here, I think, with people. And and the fact that I, I, I will give Gavin Newsom credit for one thing. I'm not a big fan of the way he's handling mm -hmm. this because it seems like he's gone full military. And I think he's just trying to lobby for the Democratic nomination for president in 2024. Mm -hmm. But he's very articulate, he's very well-spoken, and he's doing a lot of this extemporaneously. And I know that's giving a lot of people courage and hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he's taking these rather draconian measures and was way out in front of it. But I can see where if the Democrat Party is having a hard time choosing between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders here in 2020, by the time 2024 rolls around, if he has made the impression that I think he's trying to do, I honestly think he's trying to protect businesses yeah. and protect people and things like that. But yep. make no mistake, he has shoved his foot in the door big time with the DNC to want to take the presidential nomination in 2024. And quite frankly, just as a media analyst, he's doing a good job with it. So yeah. you got to give him credit for That's that. That's funny. Yeah. It, and Roger, along those lines, it's interesting. The three of us, you, I, and Roger, if you look at, or you, I, and Neil, the three of us all have governors that I feel are doing exactly yeah. that. Cuomo is too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and let's, let's take it to Andrew Cuomo now. Neil Boron, of course, Neil Boron Live, Buffalo, New York. Uh, what is the feel in New York, and especially when we see how how much this is spreading in New York and how much New York is exporting coronavirus, it appears, to the rest of the mm -hmm. country. I'm amazed when I see some of the percentages in the entire country that people are saying was exported from New York. But, of course, mm -hmm. in, in all fairness, New York is kind of an entry point for a lot of people traveling sure. to the United States from uh, from Europe. And we know what's going on over in Europe, especially in Italy right now. So it shouldn't surprise us that people come in New York and then travel into other parts of the country. But what's the feel there in New York right now, Neil? By the way, as far as spreading it, I think um – we're just trying to be good citizens. We want to share the wealth. Oh, sure. You know? We appreciate we, that. We appreciate that. <laughs> keep it to ourselves. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, I'm in Buffalo, New York. For those that aren't familiar with the geography of New York State, you know, we're 400 miles from New York City. What's interesting um, is that Erie County, where Buffalo is located, uh, we were told by our county health officials that there are no test kits available, or they were down to less than a dozen test kits, and they were going to have to make very crucial decisions about who would get tested and who wouldn't. So there hasn't been a lot of testing. So the reporting numbers like that there are about 100 people in Erie County, just over 100, uh, and we've had one uh, confirmed death so far. But it raises an interesting question about testing in general because the truth is, uh, I'm just you know throwing it out there, 10 million people could, could be positive for coronavirus right now if they've not been tested then you can't say that there's confirmed tests but it also flip flip that over on the other side if 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 on one day you test 10 people and five test positive you say well there's only five confirmed cases and everybody breathes a sigh of relief if you test a million and there's 500,000 uh, then you go oh my gosh there's 500,000 but i think a lot of the fear especially in the, in new york is is 
ramped up by this whole idea that, well, now we're getting higher and higher numbers of confirmed cases, not on the western end of the state, but downstate in the New York City area and surrounding suburbs and counties and stuff. So how many people actually have it? How many have recovered from it? We don't actually know that number. But yeah, there's a lot of fear um, in grocery stores locally here. People are wearing homemade masks and, and uh, have latex gloves on when they're doing their shopping. Um, there are a few people out and about. Uh, my wife and I were walking on a, a, a nearby bike path this morning, and some people like took the wide berth around us. You know, uh, hmm. when they were jogging. Uh, well, they always do that with us. So there's yeah, <laughs> nothing exactly. new there, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think generally there's a sense of optimism that we're all going to get through this. But there's also that fear, like wait a minute, uh, the numbers that we're seeing look pretty tragic worldwide, and New York State is the epicenter of this whole thing, New York City, of course, being the true epicenter for the United States. So uh, there's, and the University of Buffalo here has tens of thousands of students, many of whom are from the New York City area. How many of them are staying at home or coming back to school or hanging out with friends? All that remains to be seen. So it's all just kind of up in the air right now. Right. Well, here in uh, here in Michigan, it's certainly we don't have the situation that you have in New York, and really, it's not nearly as widespread in Michigan. So, I, I there are a lot of us here that are disappointed that we were put on lockdown. You would think we'd be more like a Colorado situation, but our governor Gretchen Whitmer, she's pretty liberal, and she's kind of making a name for herself. Uh, like Gavin Newsom to a certain extent. Not that our governor's primary focus is, hey, let me set the stage and build my resume for possibly 2024 or something in the future. But I, I do think that that's kind of a, an unintended consequence of the actions that they're taking. And that's personally what I think our governor has done. She's put herself on the national scene. Some of the Sunday morning shows was having her on this past Sunday, and everybody's paying attention to Michigan because it's going to be a significant state as far as can Trump win Michigan again for this fall and that type of thing. So where everybody used to look to Florida, a lot of people are looking to states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And so she's becoming on the national stage. And so I, I have a bad feeling that there was some politics involved. I don't know how much, but some politics involved in her uh, putting us in this. But I guess one of the things that's frustrating about this is the order, her executive order says that you are not allowed to uh, meet with anyone that's outside of your own, that, that doesn't live at your residence as their primary residence. So, for example, I have adult children that live here in Metro Detroit. One of my adult kids and his wife and my two grandkids live like five miles away from us. They're not allowed to come over to our house because they don't actually live in our house. And so you can't even meet with family, uh, which is like, okay, come on now. That's, but That's we'll, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it does seem like it's too far. However, she did give a little bit of something to the Christians in that she said that churches are exempt, and if they want to gather, then they would legally be allowed to, and they would not suffer a penalty, which is kind of a moot point because hardly any churches are gathering here right now anyway. I think it would come across as as uh, insulting and insensitive to a lot of people, and so just about every church is shut down. Uh, but there's a lot more about this we want to talk about, and we're going to continue on this National Crawford Roundtable uh, next with John Roger Neal and myself, Bob Duco, after this break. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing on the National Crawford Roundtable with John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of South of California, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit as we all sit around in our hazmat suits and our sequestered uh, roundtable <laughs> to talk about what's happening with everything coronavirus. Uh, you know, I mentioned before the break, gentlemen, the thing about uh, churches. And I know we talked about this last week. Here in Michigan, our governor did say that churches 
will not be penalized if they go ahead and get together. So it's kind of being treated as a quote-unquote essential thing, which is really surprising for such a liberal Democrat governor here. But I think that she did that to kind of offset the fact that you're not even allowed to get with your family if your family's primary residence is not your primary residence. It's like, wow, that's pretty extreme. Uh, But it doesn't seem to me that churches really can get together right now. There's some isolated ones here and there that are still doing it. But it seems to me if you have a church service with 500 people in it, uh, 1,000 people, even 250 people, that they're going to get the stink eye from everybody in the community, and it ends up being a bad witness. And even if you feel like it's overblown and it shouldn't be that big of a deal, even if it's not for health reasons to get together, if anything else for perception and being a good witness to your community and your neighbors, it seems like churches are best to just go online right now. So I'm kind of curious. Let's go around. I mean, Neil, first of all, in New York, yep. what do you see in there? Are church, well, churches actually are required to shut down in New York, right? You don't have the freedom to stay open there. Yeah, ex, uh, except for uh, online stuff, there's really no churches open that I'm aware of. I mean, probably somewhere somebody has a church of less than 10 members that you know. decided to meet or, <clears throat> excuse me, is basically a home church kind of setup. But all the formal congregations, larger churches, were all shut down uh, this past Sunday, and uh, quite a few were shut down the Sunday previous. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the church community, the Christian community, is taking all this very seriously and wanting to be good neighbors, wanting to be good participants. Just to the west of us, though, in Pennsylvania, uh, some of you may have seen there was a church, um, I think in Greenburg, Pennsylvania, called Word of Life Church. It decided last weekend in the Pittsburgh area to uh, to go ahead and meet anyway. Just like, hey, we're not scared of the coronavirus. We're just going to do this. And man, they, they took some public backlash for doing that. The community wasn't happy at all, which then raises the question. I know we'll get to more of it later, but you know, if if the president is saying, "Hey, let's all let's pack the churches on Easter Sunday," which is only 20, 19 days away, um, what kind of public backlash is that going to cause for the president and you know his hopes for November and that kind of thing? I'm sure we'll get into it. But the point is, people are watching, and I, I, I've seen a number of situations on our local news. Uh, where people have stopped to yell at people for congregating in places where they shouldn't be congregating, uh, to say, hey, look, take your responsibility seriously. I don't know how long that's going to last, but I think that the general consciousness is that we need to abide by this, and certainly Christians should do what we can to be a part of the the solution rather than the problem. John, what about in uh, Colorado? Because you guys are not on lockdown, which means that churches would have the freedom to go ahead and do this. And I'm just kind of curious, or do they not have the freedom at all? Yeah, no, we're not we're not on lockdown. But one of the first things the governor did was when when we did the restaurant order and you know restaurants, bars, movie theaters, and so on. That included churches. Okay. So no, no, nobody meeting ten. You know, nothing with ten or more individuals in any kind of a meeting place. Period. That would include you know churches, conferences, seminars. You know, the conventions, any of that kind of stuff. All all of that has been shut down. So yeah, all of our churches. Um, I don't know what some of the small churches are doing as far as online services and things like that. I think some of them are trying to do even Facebook Live and do some things along those lines. Most right. are adapting, I think, mm-hmm. fairly well. But yeah, no, there's no church services going on in Colorado right now. Okay. And, and just to be clear, they're not allowed to? I mean, this is actually a state order that tells them they're not allowed to congregate? Yeah, it's a it's an executive order. Well, you know, first first thing to happen for us, just to make sure everybody understands our timeline, we were one of the first states to go on a state of emergency. So the governor issued a state of emergency that gave additional funding, was you know allowed him to use the national guard for certain things and so on. That happened a couple of weeks ago now, and then he put everything on lockdown as far as the items, you know, the the businesses I just noted, including churches and things along those lines. So yeah, there is an executive order that was put out by the governor outlining the things that that I've said, but we are not on a you know mandated stay at home unless that's your right. local. And, and even then, guys, I want to make sure that I'm clear on that. So that in here in Colorado, even the the you know stay at home orders, I guess you could call them, they're still allowing people to go to and from work if they, you know, if they're if they're called into work, if they're an essential business, they can leave, go to work, they can go get groceries, they can go get their car fixed. I mean, you can still do all of those things. Right. 
it's really a suggestion not to congregate. And, you know, our, our city parks and all those things are still open. People are still hiking and biking and jogging and doing all that. You just can't get within six feet of somebody else. All right. If and I could then, jump in here for just yeah. a second, guys, Some, John, I want to dovetail on something John just said. It, it's I realize that we understand this, but for the benefit of those listening who may not understand uh, fully, when these orders are issued, these state of emergencies and things like that. John mentioned there's the health concern, but there's also the financial concern. And a lot of times when you see a governor declaring a state of emergency, like California, we just went through this, where Gavin mm -hmm. Newsom said, I'm asking for the National Guard. He was referring to the letter that he'd written to the White House saying, this is what I want. And then when President Trump said, yes, we're going to go ahead and grant you that, then a lot of people are like, oh my God, here come the tanks. Well, it wasn't that, you know, that they were going to do that, but there is that procedure in terms of the funding that is available to help fight this thing. And so they're, they're kind of they're talking out of both sides of their mouths when they say something like, you know, we want to do this for the safety of people. Well, sure they do, but also they want to make sure that if there's federal funding, FEMA, whatever it is, they want to be first in line to get it. All 50 governors have contacted the White House and said, you know, whether they've locked down the state or not, they've put the wheels in motion to make sure that the money part of it is happening, too. And I realize we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the stimulus in, in just a moment, but I just I thought it was important to underscore sure. yeah, that's, that point. Yeah, that's a great that point, Roger. That's Glad very, you said that. Yeah. That's very true. Very yeah, good. Let me jump in point. for a second yeah. uh, as well. But I'm looking at the clock and realizing that maybe we should take a break um, just to stay on schedule here. So let's do that. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, with more of the National Crawford Roundtable. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford broadcasting station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. My name is Neil Boron. I'm in Buffalo, New York. You're listening to The National Crawford Roundtable, uh, a podcast that we do each week on the Crawford Broadcasting Company site, crawford.live. You can see it there uh, and a variety of other places. Bob Duco in Detroit, Michigan is with us, Roger Marsh in Southern California, and John Rush in Denver, Colorado. I just want to jump in because you guys are talking about the National Guard. That is also something that's uh, happening here in New York State. The National Guard is being called out. And uh, Governor Cuomo here, who I also do believe, and you were right, uh, is campaigning for president either if something radical happens in 2020 or 2024. But there's no question he's enjoying his time in front of the camera. Uh, you know, he's calling for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to help develop uh, field hospitals, so to speak, uh, on abandoned college campuses or other places where they can be set up, the Jacob Javits Center uh, downstate, uh, you know, a variety of different places so that additional hospital beds and ICUs can be set up depending on how this thing unfolds. Um, but I think in the midst of all of that is uh, public concern for um, what, what this is going to cost us and then how much human life is going to be lost so on the one hand, people are very supportive of what Governor Cuomo is saying. And, and I turned to my wife one day saying, I generally don't like what he has to say, but I think he's handling this miraculously well. Donald Trump comes out and supports the, you know, many of the measures that he's uh, enacted. But at the same time, you can see that they're on a collision course because uh, Donald Trump is saying, hey, we want the company open by Easter, uh, the country open by Easter. And um and, and Governor Cuomo is talking about six to nine months. So... Mm where public health officials come into play there and how much credence they'll be given. I hope that they're given a good deal of credence and that the president and the governor are listening to what health officials are saying remains to be seen. But anyhow, um, it's been fascinating to watch this whole thing unfold. And then there's the whole economic aspect that I'm sure we're going to get to as well. Yeah, well, but, and that we that we certainly will. And as a matter of fact, let's uh, before we even get to the economic part of this, I do want to address the issue of the the death rate here because, you know, one of the things, and there's been a big debate about this, you know, how seriously should we be taking this or not and what is really the death rate and uh, is it fair to ever make comparisons to the flu and such and, and how do we weigh that, how do we weigh the amount of deaths from coronavirus against the amount of economic and financial pain that's being hurled on tens of millions of Americans and will be through the course of this year. Where do we find that balancing act? Uh, does coronavirus spread uh, faster and reach more people than the regular flu does? Yes, it does. Uh, can it linger 
more uh, on surfaces and in the air than the flu, yes. And so consequently, since people can uh, can pass on the coronavirus for a longer period of time than they can pass on the flu, even during asymptomatic times, it does have the potential to spread more. One of the things I'm also noticing, though, is when we look at the amount of deaths and what the death rate is, that death rate seems to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah, it's going down. as we yep. go along, which is something that I've been saying from the very beginning. Now, we look at, and, and these are some of the numbers that I think about and I, and I throw out, and this is, it's almost like it's considered insensitive to even say stuff like this, but I think it has to be addressed honestly. Well, you have to look fairly. at the numbers, okay. Bob. Data, well, I mean, data is important. I, I, I think know it's important to have data. You know, and I, and I agree. And so, I guess I'm hearing from some statisticians and some uh, leading medical experts and such that the amount of people that are actually being tested is probably at least one tenth, if not even less, than the amount of people who actually have coronavirus. Yep. So if, if we've mm -hmm. got 55,000 people that have been tested with coronavirus, the amount of people that actually have it that are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms or never got tested or whatever is probably at least 10 times that amount. Well, okay. Well, right. and, let, and Bob, let's just be, so let's go conservative. Let's just say it's just 50%. So instead of 55 cases, it's 100,000 cases. If you do that and look at the death rate, we're at like 0.72 or something of a percent of death rate according to the people that are actually getting it. It's nominal. Right. It, it, and that's that's the point that I'm making here. And the truth is, it's got to be more than just double the amount. I mean, the, the the numbers that I'm seeing and hearing from, there's no way that we're going from 10,000 cases to 50,000 cases, which we know we're probably going to get 100,000, 200,000 cases. So yeah. as that increases, that tells me that the amount of people that have this is dramatically more. And remember, and I've cited the numbers from Cedar sinai and other places that I, there's easily 10 times more people that have right. it that no one other than God will ever know that they right. had it. And so if that 55,000 is actually 550,000, the deaths are still the same. The six, seven, yes. 800 deaths are still the same. Which means, right now. Right, which means we go from, from 1.4% to 0.14%, which puts That's it right. right in line with flu deaths, which then begs the question, uh, is this a case where the cure, as President Trump said, does potentially end up being more devastating to people than the uh, than the virus itself? And this is the but main thing I want to ask you guys about. Well, is and, and go ahead, Neil. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a comment, but go ahead, um, ahead Neil. Remember what you're going to say because mine's probably a little bit off, and maybe we can talk about this in the second half, Bob, but I would love to know. I mean, if you stop the social distancing thing and the people who have it, and are doing fine, or they've already recovered, or whatever. Are they still? Can they still communicate the disease to someone else? Um, that that question has not officially been answered. But let's just say that somebody's walking around with very mild symptoms, and all of a sudden we stop the social distancing. They get together, they go over and give a big hug to the elderly person at church who next week dies of coronavirus. Then then the deaths are dramatically impacted because people who have it are now coming in uh, with multiple contacts with people who are susceptible. So. I don't know. And then at what point does the healthcare system get overwhelmed when the doctors and nurses start dying? And that could happen. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm just saying that has to be a part of this discussion, too. Now we're talking about, of course, all things coronavirus and trying to get a handle on what the true death rate is of this. And then based on that, how do we weigh the economic damage versus the medical damage that's caused from this? And Neil, before we get to the, the, the healthcare system and the potential overloading of that, you brought up a very good point that with coronavirus, since it is more uh, contagious during in asymptomatic people and for a longer period of time, you do stand a, a larger possibility that somebody could have coronavirus. They don't even know it. They might have the sniffles or they may might have nothing. And so therefore, mm -hmm. they think that they're a safe person who shows up and gives a big hug or a handshake to that senior citizen. And little did they know they passed it on to that senior citizen where that can happen with the flu, but not as often because with the flu, as we know, you can have the flu and be contagious for on average 
a couple of days before you show symptoms. But with coronavirus, it can be longer than that. The average is five, but it can be longer than five. So mm -hmm. th there is more of that potential. But usually with the flu, you see, hey, I I'm not feeling well, so I'm not going to go up and shake hands with that person, let alone that elderly person. So my thinking is that if we open things back up again soon, we don't we don't do this where we say, hey, let's just be exactly the same way we treat the flu. I think we do show more caution and we say, whereas with the flu, you might be willing to shake that person's hand. With coronavirus, let's still maintain a certain measure of social distancing, but let's absolutely diligently maintain that social distancing with senior citizens or people with underlying health conditions. So I think if we step it up a notch, in those areas above what we normally do for the flu, then it seems to me that that should mitigate some of the concern of the things, Neil, that you were bringing up. And maybe it wouldn't be enough. I don't know. But it mm. seems to me like it's fair to consider that it might be. You would hope. And uh, I know John had some things he wanted to add. I won't say much more, but I mean, I think like opening things up cautiously and over time and still trying to maintain some social distancing makes sense. But what about movie theaters, bars, restaurants? Uh, I was hoping to see the Yankees and Red Sox in, in uh, Fenway Park, you know, in early August. Uh, okay, so all of a sudden we go, hey, Major League Baseball's on. So 50,000 people pack into a stadium somewhere uh, and restart this virus again. I, I guess part of my concern is, is not just the health aspect, but the economic, which I know that at some point here we're going to dig into, but like, right. uh, and I'm not an economist by any means, but let's just say that this $2 trillion package, you know, is doled out. And of course, that's, that's a pretty big hit right there. That's the biggest, you know, ever uh, in terms of economic aid during a time like this. And then all of a sudden, this whole thing restarts because we, we jump the gun and the virus starts up again, because we weren't we weren't taking precaution long enough or, you know, social distancing for enough extended period of time. Could we survive a second economic stimulus package? It, it, what happens to the economy at that point? So I think caution has to be a part of the equation and social distancing is going to be an issue for an extended period of time. I don't think, I honestly don't believe that we can just all of a sudden open everything up. Like, because I mean, the president used terms like, what did he say? Uh, revved up and ready to, raring to go. Economy raring to go. <laughs> what, well, what exactly does that mean? Church is packed on Easter. I don't know. I, I, I think he's trying to spread hope more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I hope that's what he's saying, but I'm not sure the American people are going to buy it right now based on everything they've heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci and others. I think there's a lot more caution on the hearts and minds of American people, and they're going to want to dole this thing out a little slower. John? Uh, yeah, and, I, and you know, everything you guys have been saying, I, I firmly agree with. While this is a, and we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, while this is a, a disease that we don't have a cure for yet, although I think one will come in the not-too-distant future, I think we're working around the clock. They've relaxed a lot of the regulations around getting a cure, you know, moving things through much quicker, and once we have a cure, I think a lot of this will, you know, start to subside. I also am one that will say that I think some of this will subside with the warmer weather. I think the statistics around the world and looking at the countries that have the highest uh, amounts of the coronavirus versus those that have the lowest amounts, a lot of the ones that have low amounts are, are hot, you know, wet type climates, humid, hot type climates. Now, in the U.S., we may still have some pockets even in the summer where, you know, we, you know, we're, we're dry here in Colorado. We may still be affected by it where, you know, New York City, for example, maybe because it's hot and humid there may not have as much. And I do think that we have to get, you know, the economy and some things back on track because the, 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 the flip side, and I know we haven't talked much about this guys, but it, it is a fact. If people are out of work and, and I looked at the statistics the other day, for example, of what happened in 2008 and 2009, we had an additional 5,000 suicides mostly from well they were all th that increase was all men believe it or not hmm. so so men during the recession the last time around 5000 of them uh you know committed suicide because of the financial distress that we were in so there is a cost to not ramping the economy back up again as well and when people are out of jobs and they can't feed their families and they can't do the things they would normally do it brings on depression and other things and you know we're sitting at 802 right now as a nation well no offense guys that's a far cry from the 5000 men and keep in mind i'm not trying to to you know diminish these these 802 deaths please no nobody out there listening i'm not saying that but when the man of the family who may be in his 50s 
commits suicide, the repercussions that go beyond him himself, that go into the rest of the family. And I'm not saying that somebody that's elderly that dies doesn't have the same type of effect, but it doesn't have the same effect, guys. Let's be real about this. The breadwinner of the family committing suicide and leaving behind, in some cases, young children or, or even teenagers has a much longer lasting effect upon those individuals right. than when you know, we that are in our 70s or 80s die. I, I, there's no, I mean, we can talk around that and not be, you know, and be PC and not be realistic about it. But the reality is, you know, people that are in their, their middle ages that are committing suicide and die because of a great recession it is something we need to, to realize and think about. And I think that's some of what Donald Trump is thinking about right now. Right. And, and Bob, to your point, though, I do think there's a lot of people that have had the coronavirus. I think they've had mild symptoms. The, the problem is, and again, this is why we've got some of the social distancing and things that we've, we've got now and we may have for quite some time, by the way, is to keep that spread down, to keep that 800 death at a minimum you know, that 800 number at a minimum. But guys, at some point, we have to be realistic and, and realize, okay, what are we going to do as a society moving forward, even as Christians, to distance ourselves, still be able to communicate, still be able to keep the economy going, still do our jobs, but not have this virus run rampant? Right. Well, and, and to the point that you're making here, uh, this is so important because when we recognize running a business. I mean, you know, I've run business. I know many of us have run businesses before. We know how this works. The difference between a business going three weeks with no revenue and a business trying to go two months with no revenue, uh, that is a major, major difference. difference for any business, big or small. And so if we have if we have businesses that are out of business with no revenue coming in for a month, month and a half, two months, we're going to see bankruptcies and shutdowns across this country like crazy. We're now talking about tens of millions of Americans that are out of work. And, you know, John, you were talking about some of the numbers you did in suicide, suicides from the 0809. You and I are thinking very much alike, although I went back and I wanted to look at the suicides from 1929 stock market crash oh, to 1932 yes. during that period because yes. what we're hearing from some economists is that if everything stays da shut down in this country for a couple of months, that we could see unemployment rates of 30% in this country. Well, just to give you an idea, during the worst part of the Great Depression of the 1930s, uh, unemployment peaked at its highest level at 24.9. So call it 25% unemployment. That's lower than what we're looking at here at potentially 30%. And when looking at suicide rates, the suicide rates, according to history.com, saw a 25% increase uh, because of the 25% uh, unemployment rate. The National Institutes of Health has it at 22.8%. So even if you go the lower, 22.8%, uh, based on the amount of normal suicides that we get uh, right now in America every year, if you increase that by 22.8%, that becomes an additional over 10,000 suicides uh, if wow. it ends up functioning the same way that it did when we had a 25% unemployment rate, let alone a 30% unemployment rate. So now, and, and to John's point, and it's an excellent point, that the, the devastation to a family and the ripple effect from having a 50-year-old man commit suicide when he's got his kids and his wife and everything else. And now we add to that, take the ones that don't commit suicide. How many other people are going to be engaged in drug addiction, alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, yeah, depression, well suicide, well as well as the crime and the looting and the anarchy that can take place in many yes. uh, inner cities and, and impoverished neighborhoods as well? So I think that the devastation that comes from not reopening the economy uh, could very well be worse than the additional deaths that we may experience by trying to do both at the same time fight coronavirus while turning America's lights back on. Yeah, I, I, Bob, you are spot on. And again, I think that's what it, Donald Trump, President Trump said exactly that. We have to make sure that, you know, that we're watching all of these things because while this, 
this pandemic is going on and we're trying to come up with a cure. We cannot let that outweigh, you know, in all of these shutdowns and everything we're doing to try to keep this thing at bay. We can't let that outweigh the reality of the fact that if people don't have any jobs and don't have any income, it's going to be far worse. Right. Well, and uh, Roger, I want to get your, I'd like to get your take on this as well. The, when I think about the deaths, if we reopen, while we're still in the midst of fighting coronavirus, but we reopen in a limited way with a bunch of caveats and a bunch of additional uh, recommendations for people, especially seniors or whatever. If we do that, uh, will that probably cost more lives than staying shut down? Yes, I believe it would. But in all fairness, and I'm going to say what I said last week, even though I know it's politically incorrect, uh, we don't have to have 50,000 flu deaths every year. If we just shut everything down for flu season, we could right. save forty or 50,000 lives, but we've decided that's not worth it. We don't have to have 35,000 car deaths in America and 1.25 million worldwide every year. We could shut down the auto industry to tell people they can't drive cars anymore, and we can save millions of lives. There comes a point where we say that we can't devastate people's lives economically, even if it means taking this death rate and reducing it by X percent. And, and that, I think, is what we have to weigh one against the other, Roger. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a there's definitely a cost-benefit to everything. And I think one of the things that uh, often gets lost in media reporting, and why I'm grateful to be part of this roundtable with you guys and having these conversations, is we try to look at every aspect of how nuanced this situation really is. You know, Bob's point is an excellent one. And, and to add to that, if you look at what's happening, NASA has released some pictures over China and Italy in the areas where they've had their you know lockdowns, shut-ins, things like that, and how the air quality has improved so dramatically. So the simple solution in China to solving the climate change issue, uh -huh. for example, is everyone stays home. Well, <laughs> you realize with a billion people there, that's not going to happen, but it does kind of show us what we're dealing with. So I, I think that one of the things that, that is a huge challenge for us and that we've kind of... Uh, looked at from a 35,000 foot view, the uh, the stimulus bill that is now on the table and it looks like we've got, you know, all the, the right people have to do what they need to do to get this thing signed and into law as we're recording this podcast, is, is taking a look at the that what that what that means what that does you know can we approach this with now common sense if andrew cuomo's getting high marks for being the guy who says all hell's breaking loose but i'm the guy holding it together he may not be in a big hurry for the crisis part of this to end but on the economy side you know the fact that they've got the unemployment things in place the small business administration loans now for for all these other businesses that would give business owners and workers the confidence they need to say okay bob i like your idea john i think this is a great idea why don't we kind of take a slow walk back into opening up the economy a little bit and getting things back to normal. That could be, a, I, I think there's there's a lot of merit, but it's going to take a very concentrated effort uh, from the media, from the government, from everyone to be able to say, okay, this is why we're going forward and this is why it's such a good thing. And uh, I, I, I think we're ready for it. I know the president rather optimistically said we want everything up and you know, ready and raring to go by Easter. Um, I, he got a little carried away. I don't know how you ramp it up that quickly. But I do appreciate his enthusiasm saying, look, there is a light at the end of this tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. Yeah, it's a very good yeah. point. And, and by the way, Roger, I, I do know that we need to take a uh, another break as well. And I'd like to kind of expand after the break, maybe, Roger, on, on that point that you're making and, and maybe get into some of the, the things about the stimulus uh, relief package that they're talking about, too. Yeah, let's you make some let's good go points. Ahead. Sure. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back with that part of the conversation as the National Crawford Roundtable podcast continues. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org listen and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast along with Bob Duco, Neil Boron, and John Rush. I'm Roger Marsh and we're having a conversation about that kind of what if now that we've reached a potential turning point here in the conversation, at least as far as what's going to happen with the economy. And guys, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, one of my uh, primary uh, uh, sponsors here on the Bottom Line Show is a guy who specializes in helping people make investments that aren't 
so tied to the market that you just lose your lunch every other day, you know, where it's down 2000 and up 2000 and whatever. I'm sure that the stimulus bill, as much as some people don't want to see $2 trillion more of government spending, it is going to actually calm a few nerves. But I came across an article earlier this morning. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud is the co-author of the book Boundaries, and I get his stuff online every day. And, and he actually wrote about the four things you can do for your mental health during the COVID-19 crisis. And he talked about when things get changed, the, the four things that were looking for that get disrupted the sense of connection which we have with the social distancing you don't you have to feel more connected to people even when you can't see them and then the sense of structure that when there's no structure in your life or when it's getting knocked out of whack that can lead to depression and anxiety uh when things feel like they're out of control and then you can't set limits and and those are all issues i think that we've been addressing here uh, and i think very well taken the points that have been brought up with regard to uh, how do we how do we start moving forward in terms of you know wanting to uh, to to reclaim a little sense of normalcy and and uh, you know in terms of the businesses reopening, government reopening, and stuff like that? I, I like what we've been saying. I mean, I I I don't know what specifically else we would want to add to that. But Bob, I know you want to do, drill down a little bit deeper on some of the points. That we're well, making. we want to get to obviously the the uh, relief package. Uh, it's being referred to as a stimulus as well. We know that the Senate. Uh, this week in a marathon session in the middle of the night, they managed to come together in an agreement with themselves. Uh, but the House and Nancy Pelosi, who knows what's going to happen there. But I got to tell you, and I would love to get your uh, opinions on this, guys. I think it is disgusting what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have attempted to do to feed in basically a bunch of liberal left-wing goodies and attach it using it as leverage yeah. in this coronavirus here, relief thing. Here, I got to th- I got to think yeah. about this. What if it were the other way around? Imagine if Republicans said uh, we are going to fold our arms and we're going to use as leverage for this a forcing to make Congress change the laws to to say that all 50 states have to have the very same kind of pro-gun policies that conservative Republican states have, that uh, all 50 states have to have the pro-life abortion restrictions that states like Alabama and others have, that California, New York, everybody has to do that by fiat of Congress. I mean, can you imagine Republicans trying to use this coronavirus relief to force on all 50 states a bunch of, let's be honest, conservative and pro-Christian and Republican policies, everybody, rightfully so, would be incensed with the Republicans' insensitivity in that area. Yet, we got Nancy Pelosi, as you guys know, uh, and Chuck Schumer and the Democrats that have tried to force into this thing, making the airlines go all global warming friendly with the fuel emission standards, a student loan forgiveness, changing the voting laws in this country to give the Democrat-friendly same-day voter registration ballot harvesting, which they do in California but is illegal yep. in most other states, in strengthening collective bargaining powers for unions, wind and solar tax credits, a gender and racial diversity requirements on companies that are receiving aid as well, amnesty for DACA illegal immigrants, uh, even closing a loophole that would potentially, or creating a loophole that would potentially allow Planned Parenthood of the abortion industry to get their hands on some of this money. Uh, Mm -hmm. Adding to that, companies accepting government loans, having to adopt the Bernie Sanders $15 an hour minimum wage, Obama phones being passed back out. I mean, to do something like that and to try to force this and use the coronavirus package as leverage to try to force this on all 50 states. I think the Democrats ought to be ashamed of themselves. And quite frankly, in my opinion, Democratic voters ought to be holding them accountable and wincing and saying, okay, that was not right. Well said. Uh, everything you just said, we talked about that on my show yesterday in, in depth and went through a lot of the same points that you made. And, you know, $35 million to, you know, the arts. And I mean, just go down the right. list of some, Kennedy of, the idiot, yeah, some of the dumb things that were there that, that they were trying to, you know, really just not even sneak in. I mean, this was just blatant boldness and trying right. to shove these things into the bill. And as it turned out, those things didn't happen. I'm reading through most of what's there right now. And I think, too, one thing we need to remind everybody of as well is 
uh, and there's some differences between this stimulus package versus what we had back in 08. Number one, there wasn't $367 billion for small businesses. I was a small business, still am, and I was one in 08. And frankly, guys, nobody offered up anything to us in small business back in 2008, 2009. We were literally you know, on our own. So it is kind of nice to see. And keep in mind, I just said loans. This is not a grant. This is not money that will be given out. This is money that will be loaned. So really, out of the $2 trillion package, about 900 billion of that, uh, so almost half of that are loans, guys. So it's not like that's going to add. I mean, it will initially add to the national debt, but we'll get that money back with some interest. And so we'll, you know, as a country, we actually will make money on the 900 billion. Yeah. By the way, I am curious, what do you guys think about the provision that the Democrats insisted be put in there and Trump and the Republicans agreed to it that Donald Trump's family is not allowed to participate in the uh, applying for loans regarding his hotels and properties. I think it's nonsense. I, I really I I do think too. that's well, well, He's not allowed to. It's fair. Right. It's not fair. It's not fair. But to try to turn this into some kind of conflict, I've even heard some people trying to claim that, oh, Trump is just trying to line his own pockets. He's doing supporting this because of the, his family. And I say, oh, come on. But they run hotels and businesses too, and they're trying to stay afloat. And, and so his family, his kids that are running these hotels and properties, they're not allowed to join the rest of Americans and participate which in this means, because which, their dad you know, is let's, president? Let's, which keep in mind the you know the ripple effect that we talked about with suicide in a 50-year-old male. There's ripple effects to when companies can't do the things that they need to do. They've got employees. Right. They've got vendors. They've got people that are working. You know, And keep in mind, it's the vendor plus the vendor plus the vendor plus the vendor. I mean, that right. ripple effect exactly. in a business when something doesn't go right has huge impacts across the board. And trust me, as somebody that's been in small business my entire life, I've been one of those ripples when a big company does something along those lines or does bankruptcy or something like that. So to eliminate him and his companies out of this is is just lunacy, guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, it, it also shows too, and I, I, it boggles my mind how many people in the Democratic Party seem to think that their own constituents are this dense. The, the idea that there is so much in the Democrat plans and the, uh, you know, Porca-Palooza, they were calling it, you know, the Pelosi plan and everything, that was just completely squared at, aimed at going after the president. Oh, you took out the funding for National Endowment of the Arts, well, we're going to put it back in in the spending bill. And you took out the, you know, the $35 million for the candidate, we're going to put it back in. Your family can't benefit from this. And I'm thinking, okay, why don't you just have the election tomorrow and give it to him? for crying out loud, because <laughs> anybody who's got a calculator and a conscience can look at this and say, I see what you're doing here. You don't care about the pandemic. You don't care about the people who are suffering. You don't care about the medical and the businesses and everything. And John, great point about the, the loans and the fact that we're going to get this back. These aren't handouts. But to the Democrat progressive side, it's all handouts because the government is Santa Claus and here comes all the free stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that they're, that they're just completely overplaying their hand, well, we'll give you $1,500 a person to buy your vote. I think it's going to blow up in their faces. It already seems to have backfired a little bit in the fact that they had to backpedal from so much of the, the so many of the demands they were making. Let me just add. A, I'm just going to ask a question. Sometimes, often, perception is more powerful than reality. Uh, this, the mainstream media usually controls the narrative of what people are thinking in our country because most people are watching the mainstream media. Um, it's why we do this kind of podcast. It's why Fox News exists because people. Don't believe everything that they hear in the mainstream media, but that's the, the minority rather than, than the majority. So what happens when the perception is that the stimulus package was good for America and we needed to open by Easter, you know, we open up the churches and everything, America's back open for business. But uh, I mean, I was watching images from Italy and Spain yesterday with people laying on the hallway floors in hospitals, unable to get a bed or room, suffering on the floor, when that's mom or dad or grandma, and, and if that happens, I mean, if we're nowhere near reaching the peak here in the U.S., I mean, I pray to God that the peak is past. Maybe maybe we're already on the rebound. Who knows? Uh, testing, I guess, will eventually prove that out. But 
the point is, if, if we haven't reached the peak yet, and by the way, New York, New York has 10 times the number of cases of California right now. If that goes exponential, even in the New York City area, where it's perceived to be the world's epicenter of this whole thing, and people are laying on hospital floors, and some of them were related to, these are our family members and friends, the media is going to take that and blow it out of proportion. And the Democrats, you know, in come November are going to be saying, hey, look, uh, more people are back to work. That's a good thing. And... Uh, yeah, uh, your 401k is looking better than it might have otherwise. Uh, isn't that a great thing? But look what Donald Trump did. He killed your family. I mean, in, in one sense, that is going to be part of the message going forward. So I think the president's in a pretty tenuous position. I, I, I hear what you guys are saying, and I agree fundamentally with most of what you're saying, that we need a positive message. We need to move forward economically. Mm-hmm. These are things we have to do. But there's a, a sub-narrative that's going to be talked about by an awful lot of american people if this thing goes south yep. in terms of ongoing health concerns yeah well, no, and, and, you know what? You know, and, by, and by the way guys i know we need to take a break right. let's do that real quick uh, you guys are we are listening to the national crawford roundtable dr james dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in america the radio broadcasting ministry of dr dobson spans over four decades earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the national radio hall of fame Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org. And be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. All right, we're back. National Crawford Roundtable, myself, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, Bob Duco. And and Neil, to your point, and I think this is where, uh, and this is where I'm, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around, you know, what the... What, what life after, we could say, what life after the virus is going to be like, because it could be, you know, if this thing doesn't get a quick, you know, vaccine and, you know, we end up having to deal with this, it could very much be like our regular flu, only much worse than the regular flu. We've already talked about all that, so I'm not going to get into those details. You can you go back and listen to some of our other previous podcasts for that. But, Neil, to your point, I think Donald Trump, you know, President Trump's going to be very careful in his staff around him, his team, as to how we open things back up and what that entails. And again, I could really easily see us with a new normal whereby if you're going to go to the restaurant, uh, the restaurant puts a, has to have a provision in place to where everybody's temperature is checked before entering that particular mm-hmm. restaurant. I could see a sanitation of each table being way different than it's been before once a, you know, once a family or, or, or a couple or whatever sits down and has a meal. Uh, I could see you know, movie theaters doing much the same thing. You know, I could see a lot of things changing whereby we will all have to participate and be a little more patient and probably adjust our lives moving forward to get the economy back and running. I don't think he'll just turn it back on and say, okay, willy-nilly, everybody go back to work and do what you were doing before. No, I think there'll be some really hardcore things in play if you're going to participate as a business, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z to participate. Otherwise, you'll stay closed. Right. Well, and I'm curious what you guys think about the job in general that President Trump is doing. Because I got to tell you, I'm giving him pretty high marks. That doesn't Me mean that everything that he says is going to be polished and perfect. And sometimes he's got some hyperbole. Sometimes he blurts things out and it's like, well, okay, didn't think that through. But here's a man who's making himself available to the American people and to the press uh, exposed in this transparent way, sometimes several hours a day even, uh, question after question after question. And he's willing to do it. And he's laying out there on the table what everybody – we're learning in real time basically what he's learning. I see the press trying to create a wedge between – between him and Dr. Fauci, and yes. Dr. Fauci himself said uh, just yesterday, or uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday of this week, he said, "quote The president has listened to what I have said and to what other people on the task force have said when I've made recommendations. He has taken them. He's never." countered or overridden me the idea of just pitting one against the other is not helpful uh, that and, was and, his and thing real to quick, the media. Bob, along those same lines dr fauci has also said he understands he's even said quote if you lock down everything now you're going to crash the whole society he right. understands that part of it as well right so uh, all in all, I, I think the, there's a potential here, and I'm maybe reading too much into this, but I think the potential exists for President Trump to initially take some heat as he tries to at least partially yep. reopen America uh, while, the, while the coronavirus thing is going on. But 
Uh, I also have a feeling that this summer, when we're mostly over coronavirus, and I think we mostly will be, I could be proven wrong, but I think we'll be mostly over it this summer. And then as we start heading into fall and we look back and we see the economy starting to bounce back by late summer, early fall, and hiring is happening again, and we're not thinking so much about coronavirus, I see a lot of people looking back and saying, you know what, this felt like an extinction-level event, uh, the coronavirus asteroid was heading toward Earth, and Donald Trump got us through this, uh, and he also somehow has managed to get the economy revving forward again at this point. A lot of pain, a lot of cleanup, like after a tornado, but I think he got us through this pretty well, and I have a feeling that independents are going to turn toward Donald Trump this fall and that he may actually come out of this thing looking pretty good come election time. I agree. That's my I take. I could be proven wrong. Who knows? What do you guys think? I think you're spot on, Bob. Yeah. Well, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, the, America has rather short memories about things that uh, they used to be, have really long memories about. And even though the Democrat side has been pushing really hard to try to make the, the president look bad and to make their cause look really good, I think you're right. He started out very slowly with the mm-hmm. coronavirus issue, but once he found his stride, uh, I think he's been firing on all eight cylinders. As we close this down, because I know we got just a couple minutes left, uh, I think it's important in the midst of all of these things that we talk about and discuss, one of the things I know I've been saying to my listeners just about every day, I know you guys have been saying the same thing as well, that no matter where you are in the spectrum of this, if you think coronavirus is not that big of a deal, if you think it's the end of the world, if you think it's it, wherever you are in the spectrum, nothing changes the fact that Jesus Christ is still Lord. God is on Amen. his throne. Amen. He's Amen. not surprised by any of this. And I would argue, gentlemen, that when events happen like this, this is a real opportunity for us as believers to look in the mirror and to ask ourselves, have I really truly given my life to the Lord? Is Does my life belong to him or is my life really about me, my happiness, my security, and the things of this life and this world? Because if it is, it's going to stress you out. If you recognize I don't live for this world. I'm not storing up treasures on earth. Uh, and my hope and my faith is in Jesus Christ. And I belong to him completely. And it's about eternity with him. If that's really where our focus is, then maybe just maybe we won't experience the anxiety that I know some people are experiencing today. And so it just seems to me we need to remind ourselves of that. I'll give everybody a last word here as we kind of wind it down. Uh, I'll well, go let me first, just, Bob. Okay. Real quick, Bob. Everything you just said. Yes, we we know in the end we will win. We will overcome this. We have to keep the faith. If you don't know, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's something right now that is of the utmost importance, given the the climate that we're in. It's always of the utmost importance, guys. I think this is just more of a reminder that we need to make sure we're reminding others that it's of the utmost importance, and and it can't be taken lightly. This, you know, life and death is a big deal. There, you know, it's appointed to man wants to die and then after that the judgment and we got to make sure we're ready for that guys so true yeah i'll jump into i um under one underscore everything you just said both of you um obviously what's really important is who we are in christ and whether or not we know him and all of those things i just think uh that as much as all of this has been an obstacle for americans and for business and for finances and stuff it also presents an opportunity for the church we know that and not just organized churches i mean we the church we are the church Um, then we need to look seriously at what god is saying to us and how he wants to transform us in the process because i know i've been reevaluating my own priorities in my life and my family and i think we need to say lord what do you want to do in my life and how can you use me to help build the kingdom uh, and minister and bless others in the process and be about your plan and your purpose so i think all of us, let's be encouraged to not only make sure that we know the Lord, but that we're doing the things he would have us to do during this time, because I think tremendous right. gains can be made for the kingdom. Roger, final yeah. thought? I, yeah, I'd echo that, that sentiment entirely, of both what John and Neil and Bob have said. Um, th- this is a great time. We heard four years ago that the president of the United States, to be the guy who is now, wanted to drain the swamp and get rid of all the problems you know, with uh, Washington, D.C., and, and whether or not he was able to accomplish that. This is kind of a swamp draining moment for us individually in terms of what are those things that are kind of polluting our lives and getting in the way of what Mm -hmm. the real issues are. And the real issue is, you know, there's a virus far greater than 
COVID-19 right now that has impacted everybody since the Garden of Eden and that virus is sin. There's one antidote. And for those of us who have received that healing, we can live in that newness of life. But may our hearts be burdened for those who haven't received it yet to continue to sound the clarion call, to keep our wits about us and our heads about us through the renewing of our mind in Scripture and in, in fellowship, and really be encouraged by what God is doing right now. And I, right. I, it's, just, it's an exciting time to be alive. It's a privilege to get together with you guys every week and just kind of sharpen iron, uh, knowing we're doing so for the good of the kingdom. And uh, um, I'm privileged, guys. Thanks for the, the time to be together. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, it's always great uh, getting together with you guys. And I uh, just want to remind everybody, that you can, you know, when you listen to us online, whether it's Apple Podcast, Stitcher, whether it's Crawford.live, uh, certainly on Apple, we'd love it if you'd uh, review the show. Maybe give us five stars. Hey, we'll gladly take it from you. But Neil Boron out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh out of Southern California, John Rush out of Denver, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Uh, gentlemen, it's always great catching up with you. Look forward to next week's roundtable. And we do remember that God is in control of all things. And uh, that gives us, I think, a sense of peace and calm that we must not only remember for ourselves, but let that calm and the light and the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ shine so that other people that aren't believers look at us and say, hey, wow, I want some of what they've got. So, uh, gentlemen, great talking with you every week. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for your inputs, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, Bob. Hey, Bob. God bless you. We'll see everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.